Jesus says, whoever wants to follow, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to learn my teachings and teach my teachings, whoever wants to, can. Now, rabbis had a specific set of followers. They were called Talmids. Talmids. And they were hand-picked, basically. And, And every teacher in the room, listen to this. A rabbi was with his students 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. How, how does that, I mean, how does that, there's not a teacher I've ever spoken to that thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I have taught some, some college classes, and I can tell you this, at the end of the hour or the end of the couple hours that I'm teaching, I cannot wait to get away. I, I mean, I'm ready to get in my car. I can't imagine people being with me all the time because the rabbi was always teaching and the students were always learning. That's kind of how it went. And so as a rabbi, you wanted to pick people who were exceptional, frankly. I mean, the, the, the qualification process was remarkable. This was an exclusive group of people. This wasn't like getting in to, to some college today, you know. Uh, it's, it's not like getting into University of South Carolina or Clemson or Charleston Southern, where basically you have to have, uh, you know, a, a pulse and, and a wallet. I mean, no, no. It was more than this. I offended everybody, I think, pretty much. Okay, good. Uh, this is more like getting into University of Kentucky, uh, where you had to be exceptional, to be outstanding. Just, just almost like that, absolutely. Okay. So again, every mother's dream for their son was to become a rabbi. But you kind of learned early on if you were going to be rabbi material or not. And so when you were young, you went to kind of Bible school and you learned the Old Testament. And if you were really, really bright, you might get to you know, go to the next step. But, but some kids didn't quite, they just weren't that sharp. And, and so... It was okay. Most, the vast majority of people ended up in their, in their father's business. So you become a stonemason just like your dad. Or you would become a, a carpenter just like your dad. Or, or you would become, you know, a fisherman just like your dad. And so generation after... There were a whole lot of businesses called, you know, uh, Hophni and Sons. Because everybody followed their dad's footsteps. But occasionally, rarely... Somebody would get into rabbi school. They would get to follow the rabbi. And, and like today, if you were trying to get into Harvard, they just don't let anybody in. You have to have you know, a, a 4.0 grade point average, and you have to have a you know, 36 on your uh, ACT, or you have to have a 1600 on your SAT, and you've got to have these prerequisites, and you have to do things to get in to, be, to, to, to get into Harvard. Just like that. Just like that. You had to have these, this impressive knowledge of Scripture in order to even be considered to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about an amazing uh, understanding of Scripture. A, a rabbi interviewing a student would say things like, okay, I need you to quote for me uh, Genesis chapter 12. They didn't have it in chapters, but something like that. To quote, I, I need you to recite for me the whole chapter. Or they would say, in Leviticus, how many times was God's name mentioned? 
And you as a rabbi, as a, as a potential Talmud, would have to know these things. Here's the deal. They, they wanted excellent students because the excellence of the students reflected the excellence of the teacher. And so if you were a rabbi and your, your people were amazing, you guys following you were outstanding, then everybody would say, wow, that rabbi, he's awesome because he has awesome students. And, and Jesus sort of really put that on its ear because Jesus changed the system. He, he gave everyone hope that they could become a Talmud. So imagine this. Your, your, your mom's uh, hope for you had always been to be a rabbi, to, to be a follower of a rabbi. And, and you feel like you've disappointed her because you're a fisherman or you're a stonemason or you're a carpenter or whatever you are. In the, in the case of Matthew, he was a tax collector. That's like, I've really disappointed my family. And now all of a sudden, there's this teacher. And, and what was kind of interesting is, people would look at Jesus and they would say to themselves, he's amazing. His followers, not so much. I mean, it's a ragtag group. It, they're fishermen, for goodness sakes. That one guy was a tax collector. This one guy's a political nut job. He was a zealot freak so they they would look at jesus and go wow and they would look at his disciples and go wow jesus picks anybody anybody can follow and that's the point anybody can follow people who really maybe have felt as if their life has been disappointing maybe you've disappointed somebody with your life you can still follow now, all of a sudden, these folks hear Jesus teach, and they begin to wonder, is it possible? I mean, I've lived a disappointing life to this point. Is it possible that perhaps I could be a Talmud, which is the best thing in the world you can be? And this is the environment, and Jesus teaches this, and when he says, Anyone can follow whoever. He means anyone. And he means everyone can follow. It's not, not just the select few. A anyone that chooses to. And that's the point. Whoever wants to be my disciple can be my disciple. Now, understand something. It wasn't as if there weren't religious people other than rabbis in Jesus' day. There were other people who were religious. There were guys called the Pharisees. We use the word a lot around here or in, in America sometimes. We'll say you're acting like a Pharisee, which means you're being judgmental. Pharisees were strict obeyers of the law. Now, if you don't know this, the first five books of the Old Testament, they're called the Torah. That's the law of God. It's also called the Pentateuch. So now you're really, you can impress your friends. Torah and Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the law tells you what you can do, and the law tells you what you can't do. And the Pharisees... They, they were really, really rules Z. They were rules-driven because they're thinking in their mind the way to win God's favor is to do what God says to do. Now, I'm a father. I've got children. I've, got, uh, I've had the opportunity in my life to be a dad to, to my, my daughters. And, and my daughters 
have said to me, maybe you've heard this as a father, uh, hey, Daddy, watch this. Watch me. Now, what they're doing is they're saying, I want you to approve of what I'm doing. People who obey rules in order to please God are basically still saying the same thing. Daddy, Heavenly Father, I need you to watch me. Watch me obey the rules that you gave. And the Pharisees were strict rules followers. Now, the problem that they ran into was, okay, I got rules, I just don't know how to always obey these rules. Because, let's take one for example. Um, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You're supposed to keep the Sabbath day holy. What is that? How do, you, how do you do that exactly? How do you know what you can and can't do? And so the Pharisees just didn't have the law. They also had something called the oral traditions. There were people, rabbis, who would write about what these laws meant, and they would uh, define them. So in this case, how, how far can you walk on the Sabbath and still keep it holy? Well, they came up with a, a number. 200 cubits, about two-thirds of a mile. They came up with that number because in Leviticus, God instructed the Hebrews to walk 200 cubits behind the Ark of the Covenant when they were traveling. Now, that rule had nothing to do with the Sabbath. It had to do with something else. But they figured, okay, God gave that length of measure at one point, therefore it must apply to other things. And so, this is what... They did. Now, Jesus poked fun at the Pharisees' oral traditions all the time. I mean, it's like, if you understand the oral traditions, Jesus is on this all the time. I think mostly to make a point that um, we're not here to win God's favor. We've already won God's favor. God already loves us. Stop trying so hard, you know. But, but Jesus, one time, in John 9, there's this story about Jesus healing a man born blind. Which is, nobody did, you know, it just wasn't done. You're born blind, you became a beggar because that's, what you, that's all you had. You had no other choices. And there's a man born blind, and Jesus on the Sabbath, <laughs> that was a rule, by the way, you couldn't heal on the Sabbath, the Pharisees' rule. Can't heal on the Sabbath. Jesus encounters this guy, by the way, Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. It was like Jesus waited till the Sabbath, it seems, to heal people, just to annoy the Pharisees. It's kind of how it looks. And it's a Sabbath day, and Jesus meets this guy, and it's the Sabbath, and he's going to heal him, and he heals him. This is kind of weird. He spits on the ground and makes mud. Does that creep anybody? I mean, he's making mud, spitting on the ground. He's kind of, I guess, stirring it up with his fingers. And he rubs it on this guy's eyes, and he tells him, to go to a, a pool called Siloam, go to the Siloam pool and wash your eyes and you'll be healed. Well, now, if you were born blind and you knew nothing else but blindness and there was a guy who spit on the ground and rubbed some mud on your eyes and told you to go to Siloam, to, to the pool to wash your eyes out, you'd do it. And he did it. Except the Pharisees were annoyed at Jesus over this because he broke three rules of the Sabbath in their minds. He healed on the Sabbath he made mud on the Sabbath. That was a rule. He told the guy to walk to Siloam, and that's definitely more than 200 cubits. And, and, and Jesus was always sort of in conflict with people who tried to keep rules in order to please God. We still have that. We've got, we come up with arbitrary rules that we think apply to certain things. 
So you had the Pharisees, and you also had this group called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were also super religious. They had rules. They, they believed in the Torah. Remember the first five books? They believed that. They just didn't do the oral tradition stuff. Actually, they're more conservative in some regards. But the thing about the Sadducees that was annoying to most Jews is they kind of, they were okay with the Romans in their country occupying their land. They were okay with that, which is weird. And the reason that the Sadducees were okay with the Romans is because they had all the power. They were, you know, the chief priests. They were important people. And their motto was basically, if you can't beat them, join them. Now, they didn't like Jesus because people were using the word Messiah to describe Jesus. And the Messiah, everybody, in most people's mind, was the guy who was going to come and drive the Romans out. Well, if you're, if you're economically tied to the Romans, you kind of don't want them driven out. You're kind of happy with status quo. Sometimes we get this romanticized idea around Jesus, like everybody liked him. Truth be told, most religious people didn't like him. They kind of were annoyed with him. The Pharisees were annoyed because he broke the rules. The, the Sadducees were annoyed because he might take over, and that would ruin their economics. So Jesus, when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, was saying, it's not about a bunch of rules. Anybody who wants to follow me can follow me. Not only does he, does he get rid of the qualifications, he also gets rid of excuses. There's this hierarchy, and, and Jesus is like, look, you don't have to be like a Pharisee, and you don't have to be like a Sadducee. You can follow. And he gets rid of the excuses. Whoever wants to. Who, whoever wants to can follow me. And now all of a sudden, you've got people, tradesmen, who are saying, well, maybe I can be a disciple. And you've got people, look, even prostitutes followed Jesus. Because he gave them hope. I was going through my notes this morning and I'm thinking, okay. Jesus says anybody can follow. And then the question is, so what? I mean, we we live in a society that would say, so what? What's in it for me to follow Jesus? I mean, what do I get out of it? Because that's kind of how we think. We, I think, innately know when we sin. We, we know when we make mistakes. And we understand that we need forgiveness. The beautiful thing about grace is you don't earn forgiveness. God forgives us when we ask. So what's in it for me? Well, me personally, what's in it, been in it for me was forgiveness. For sins I've done, for sins I continue to do sometimes. God forgives me of those sins. I don't have to live with guilt. What's in it for me? Well, he gives me a purpose in life, something to do. God tells us that we're here to, to serve. We serve God by serving others. He gives me purpose. If life is only about your own pleasure for here and now, it's kind of a stinky life, frankly. What's in it for me? Well, I have the hope of heaven when I die. 
mean, there's a lot to be gained by following Christ. And some people don't want to. Maybe they have an excuse, and the excuse might be, well, I'm having too much fun right now. I don't want to follow because I'm, I'm going to have to give something up. Because here's what we, we innately know about following Jesus is that there is a cost. Eventually, it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. Do you realize that today there are people in, in countries around the world, in, in our world today, who put their lives at risk simply because they follow Christ? They follow Jesus. They meet, they, they meet, like we meet publicly. Thank you for America where we have the freedom of religion and do what we want to do here. They meet in little homes and little groups and they're scared out of their minds that somebody's going to find out because if they do, they, they, they could be murdered. In certain Muslim countries, um, wives are taken away from husbands because they convert to Christianity. It costs them something. And so some people might say, well, it costs too much. That, maybe that's the excuse. So, some people might be on another place. I've got a past I'm not proud of. And my excuse for not following is I, I'm afraid of acceptance. Maybe not so much by God, but by God's people. I've got a past. You know, I, you know, I, was, I was in a bankruptcy or I had a divorce or I had an addiction. Or maybe I have an addiction. Maybe there's something going on in my life right now where I don't feel like God would want me. Like I'm dirty. God's clean. It's like oil and water. My excuse is I'm I'm dirty. I'm addicted. I went to prison. I'm an alcoholic, I'm a hypocrite, I'm self-righteous, I'm pagan. I look at things online I don't need to look at. And we begin to think that God doesn't want us. And it's not true. One of the coolest things about Jesus was when he spoke, people were drawn to him because he wanted them to be drawn to him. He wanted them around. Now, there's sort of two sides of this coin. Jesus says, whoever, and that means anybody, and that means everybody, and that means no more excuses. Whatever excuse you're using, No more excuses. But there's another side of this. Whoever also means it's not just anybody, but it's also everything. Because he doesn't just say whoever wants to. He also says they have to do something. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus never pushed rules. He did push lifestyle. He, he would say, go and, and leave your life of sin. We, we see that in Scripture. There, there's a woman and she's caught in adultery and he says, go. But he didn't say, go and 
keep doing what you were doing. Go and leave your life of sin. There's always a challenge. See, we, we as people can be better than we've ever been by following Jesus. Because He will challenge us to take up our crosses and to, to follow Him. It's powerful language. Self-denial is very powerful. When, when Jesus says... You, you have to deny yourself of something. To, to den- we don't, I don't know if you notice this. We don't live in a very self-denial type uh, environment in our country. There's not much self-denial. There's not much putting away what I want for the sake of somebody else. Not much of that that goes on. So the language that Jesus... You, you want to follow awesome Because when you became a Talmud, here's the deal. Wherever your rabbi went, you went. So if your rabbi says, okay, we're going to go to this country and we're going to hang out over here for a while, you went. You followed your rabbi because you you wanted to learn from your rabbi. If your rabbi said, okay, we're going to be persecuted, but we're not going to run. And this happened with every one of Jesus' followers. We're not going to run. And you were a Talmud, you followed your rabbi, and if he said we're not going to run, we're not going to run. And and Jesus would say, okay, we're going to go hang out with people that nobody else hangs out with. And that day it would be like people that were lepers. An incurable disease where your body basically rots off. And he would go and hang out with people who normal everyday people called unclean. Would have nothing to do with. And if you were following the rabbi, when he went to work with the people who were detestable, that's where you went. Because it was more important to deny yourself and be where your rabbi was. See, this series that we're in, fan follower. Fans like the notion of Jesus. They kind of like that Jesus forgives people. They like that part of it. Forgiveness is a cool thing. I mean, it really is a cool thing. We like forgiveness. We don't see it a lot, but we like it when we see it. Fans like Jesus. Followers will go with Jesus wherever he says to go. And that's the biggest difference that you follow wherever he wants to go. This is a picture of a guy named Jose Miguel Sokolov. He's from Colombia. About six or seven years ago, the Colombian government hired him. He's a marketing guru, and they hired him to to create a marketing campaign. Now get this. In Colombia, they have uh, guerrilla warfare. They have uh, rebels who engage in guerrilla attacks on citizens and on the government. Which is, I mean, guerrilla warfare is horrible because, I mean, you're walking and you could get shot because you can't see them coming. It's, it's that deal. And so they're, basically it's a terror. There are terrorists. Let's call them terrorists. And Sokolov was hired to get them to stop. You want that job? <laughs> I mean, who applies for that job? Hey, we'd like you to create an ad campaign that gets the guerrillas... To, to stop them from shooting us. 
So, he and his team came up with a, a plan, and they, they ran some, um, this is very creative, uh, they ran some radio spots. And they had actors reading the radio spots saying, come home, and it didn't work. <laughs> so then they got really creative. And several years ago, they went into the jungles and there are certain paths that these gorillas kind of walk through. The, these terrorists kind of go down the same roads, paths in the jungle. And they found some, some trees. And they put Christmas lights on the trees. And, and they would go off, of course, but when the gorillas passed through there, when the terrorists would pass through, there was a motion sensor and the lights would come on. And, and there would be a voice recording and it would say, if... If Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home. And it was a message of forgiveness and hope. And over 300 of these rebels who had been murdering other people stopped and went home. The next year, they, they had these little, these little orbs, these little balls. They put them in the river where they knew it would go down to where the rebels were. They put, I think 7,000, I believe was the number, of these little balls. And inside the ball there was a little gift and there was a note, handwritten note that said, you can come home. And these rebels would come home. I think last year they shone a bright light. You know how uh, at movie theater... Um, Sometimes they shine those lights in the, in the, in the skies and you kind of know that there's a, a premiere. They, they shone these big bright lights in the skies and, and they, they said, uh, this Christmas follow the light that will guide you to your family and your freedom. I, I love those stories because they talk about that you can come home. We have a, a rabbi who says to us, you qualify. You know, before, most rabbis, you had to be smart enough, you had to be all that. And I don't know about you, but I don't always feel smart enough. I sure don't always feel good enough. I sure don't feel like I deserve it. And our rabbi would say to us, whoever wants to, can follow. Now, it's going to cost you. I, I like that there's no strings attached. Jesus lays it out. No fine print. <laughs> you know, no hidden fees. Whoever wants to follow, whoever wants to be my disciple, must take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me. The good news today is it's available to all of us. And maybe today, what we do with this message, there always should be application to any message. Are we making excuses? Do I have an excuse for not following? Is it difficult? Or will people make fun of me? Am I not a complete follower, totally sold out follower because it, it might be uncomfortable at work or at school? Because Jesus would say, 
you can follow, and it's worth following, but it's going to cost you something. In fact, Jesus one time said, consider the cost. There's really not a cost for fans. Fans show up and they reap the benefits, but then when it gets tough, they walk away. No cost. Cost you nothing. And you can continue to be a fan of Jesus, but to be a follower of Jesus means I'm willing to sacrifice. So we're in a series, we're trying to help each other figure out where we are here. Do I just follow Jesus because it's easy? Am I a fan of Jesus? Or, or am I a follower who's willing to make sacrifice? This, I think, is the question we have to ask ourselves. I'm going to pray in just a second. We're going to take up an offering, and I'll explain all that. After the service is over, I'm, I usually hang out right over there. I'll go over there and take my mic off. And If you need somebody to pray with you or answer a question, I'll be right over there. Um, or if you'd just like to say hello, I'm happy to say hello as well. I'll be right there after the service. Or if this week, when you're thinking about... Wow, I don't know where I am here. I don't know if I'm a fan or a follower. You need clarification or you want to chat? Um, my email address is on the, um, on the little program that we hand out, and you can get a hold of me, and I'd be happy to, to chat with you. It, it's too big a decision to not consider. We, we need to consider this. Father, we thank you for your word and how you open it up to us and how we have this opportunity to follow you. Even though we're not worthy, we're not smart enough, we're not, we're not good enough, you want us anyway, and we appreciate that. Lord, I humbly ask that you would help us to be reflective in our hearts to consider what you're saying to us today so that we might be um, certain, certain that we are a follower and not a fan. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.